Clear. background noise throughout the day but it's just airplanes so it's not it's, it's not really noise. good background noise yeah right. this is this is the best seat in the house that's right we got sky riders now we got sky riders, we got sky riders now. now does that say ucap i can't it's got a runway in the front yard <laughs> and you're in sight clear west turkey national ground good afternoon sir taxi via foxtrot and delta I remember a long time ago, um, the police first started uh, putting some of their officers on bicycles to, uh, to uh, you know, get them around town and get them more presence and whatnot. And we always just giggle at the idea of what police have. Now it's kind of common, I think. We see it all the time. But I remember when it first happened, we'd all kind of laugh at the idea of a cop, you know, police officer being on a, on a bicycle. And they look so cute in those shorts with I know. the gun. Yeah, exactly. That yeah, exactly. That, that's interesting. I, I dated a female police officer, uh, uniformed officer for a uh, while. Yeah. She was she was on a bicycle for oh, really? a while. Yeah. At, and, at one and, point and, in her career. And has a lot of great stories to tell about it. What was that considered a uh, what kind of duty was that considered? For her it was great. Fresh air. Yeah. Uh, bicycling. She had I don't want to get, you know, graphic or anything like that, but she had great legs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, we get the idea. Yeah. It, it, it was all good. Yeah. Well, the reason I mention this is that this put me in the mind, or, or, or the, the story put me in the mind of the bicycle thing. It seems that the police department in, let's see, where is this? Palm Bay, wherever that is. I want to say it's Florida someplace. Now, the website is floridatoday.com. Palm Bay Police paraglider unit plans plans to expand so apparently it already exists it's not like this is a new idea um let's see now uh, lieutenant joe eakins knelt on a patch of grass tugging and pulling at the 70 pounds of equipment that would lift him into the blue skies over palm bay uh, <laughs> i love it so the police are like using paragliders to uh now for those not familiar a paraglider would be uh um one of these shaped kind of parachute you know canopies uh, with a with some sort of motorized thing hanging underneath it. There's two different it's pictures. It's called a power plant with a big prop enclosed in a shroud. Right, but there are different. And you wear it on your back. Well, there's the one you wear on the back. That's one of the pictures that's part of the story. And then there's another picture part of the story that shows the kind that has sort of a tricycle gear, um, you know, device. Yeah, those are generally called powered parachutes, and the yeah. ones where your feet. Are constitute landing gear or the powered paragliders oh okay i would dearly love to have been in the meeting to see the powerpoint presentation yeah. when this was proposed okay <laughs> uh, how, how did they get through that with a straight face yeah now let's see now uh, it's okay very it's cool it's it, i don't know how effective it might be the things are noisy and slow and and i, I would think not well suited uh, to to patrol duty, but you know, well, okay, fine. According to the story here, it says the four-man paraglider unit has been operating for a year and a half, taking to the air to provide a bird's-eye view of crime scenes while adding in, while aiding in the search for everything from marijuana fields to possible arsonists. And uh, then a previous paragraph says today's mission for the Palm Bay Police Search Operation 
wait a minute. Let me see if I get this right. The Palm Bay Police Search Operations Aerial Response Team. The PBB, the Pubsoria. No, 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 wait. The word soar is in there. See? Okay. I knew it. Yes, soar. Yes, it is. Palm Bay Police Soar Team. All right. Uh, Their their mission today is to locate from above any homeless camps hidden by brush near where a string of burglaries were recently reported. All right. So they've got real missions here. I mean, we're not just talking like, you know, keeping an eye on the beach. This isn't recreational flying. Uh, And notice the the two, the the powered parachute that they've got a shot of on the website. That's actually not the the PD's unit. That's a loner from the National Institute of Justice. And I'm betting that they're using that for familiarization and to get the guys used to the whole whole technology. Uh, But using ultralights, and this qualifies as a a Part 103 ultralight, it goes back to using ultralights for law enforcement actually goes back to the 80s mm-hmm. because it really upset some people at first that this whole idea of guys flying around in airplanes with no licenses and, and, and you know no type certificates and yada 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 mm-hmm. and uh, somebody said well you know uh, it's a public aircraft yeah if you let public aircraft fly without you know, requiring maintenance or adherence to type certificates. And technically, uh, the pilots uh, can be whatever they want to stick in them, as long yeah, as they right. don't. Didn't we talk yeah. about this once before? All of these uh, government-operated aircraft are, are non-certificated, right? You're not required to. That doesn't mean that the smarter entities okay. don't play along. Uh-huh. The story goes on to say, uh, after saying that it's been operating for a year and a half, it says now the program, the only one of its kind in Florida, according to Eakins, go figure, there's only one of these, um, is poised to expand with up to two new members to patrol the skies over the 100-square-mile city winding suburban streets. Oh, this, oh I'm sorry. I'm 100 gonna, I'm square gonna, mile so cities winding suburban streets in thick brush. Yeah, Jeb? I'm going to see if I can figure out where this, this city is and see if they... Uh, have any openings yeah, uh, no. on the police department. This would be a cool job. Yeah. You could get shot at a lot, but hey, that's fun. I know. Yeah, you get shot at. And, you know, it does rain from time to time down there in Florida, so that's an issue, I guess. But uh, well, It sounds to me like a whole new product line potential here. You yeah. know, Kev- Kevlar uh, sheet armoring for the, the, the foot-launched powered paraglider guys. Uh, Kevlar shroud to kind of protect the lower part of the uh, uh, of the cage that the propeller spins in, uh, night vision goggles, uh, of course, is something that you, you just put it on your head and turn your head back and forth, send the pictures to the ground. See great potential here. <clears throat> yeah, so uh, that's uh, that's one interesting story here. Um, another interesting uh, aviation story this week was called to our attention by uh, a listener in the forums, a listener who goes by the name of. Tell me what this means. GA with L plates? That must mean something that I don't know what it means. GA with L plates. Anyways, GA with L plates. Uh, which, which link? What are we talking about here? This is the uh, the next one in the or the next next one in the list. More great journalism from down oh, okay. under. All right. Um, so uh, uh, GA with L plates uh, writes um, high uh, high quality journal is not restricted to the states. Here's the latest from the Sydney Morning Herald. 
And the Sydney Morning Herald reports plane crash lands in backyard near Sydney. And our listener, I mean, so what happened? A twin-engine airplane crashed into a backyard um, of a property at Kirkham near Camden, southwest of the city, early today. And the uh, listener uh, calls our attention to this, this particular quote. A student pilot practicing stall maneuvers lost control and sent the plane plummeting to earth. An instructor wrestled control and managed to crash land it. So... Uh, now, that's something you won't see on the World Wrestling Federation. Yeah, I know. That's right. <laughs> well, as, as, the, as the listener uh, points are out, you, he, says, uh, he says, nothing like a good plummet to wake up the guy or gal in the right seat. So. Are we ready to rumble? <laughs> yeah. Are you so, ready to plummet? Yeah. So, I don't know. I'm trying to pick out what really happened from this story. It sounds like it was kind of a, an unnerving but successful off-field landing here. They apparently ended up in somebody's backyard. I don't seem to see any indication of per, of personal injury here. Um, the, a lot of people are, of course, uh, uh, you know, kind of excited by this whole thing. And uh, don't, yeah, uh, Ooh, a twin. <clears throat> so uh, neither of the neither of the two people on board was seriously hurt. Says an eighty a sixty two year old man was taken to Liverpool Hospital by paramedics and is being treated for lower back pain. While a thirty four year old man was treated by paramedics for minor injuries. Sounds like the crew. Yeah. Sounds like what? The crew. Ah. Anyways, so uh, yeah, yet another example of of, of mixed up uh, journalism about aviation. So that's from uh, G- I still can't figure out what GA with L plates means. What's an L plate? Well, I'm sure once he hears this, he'll he'll respond. And let us know. Yeah. Okay. See, now i got to figure this out here. Hang on a second. Uh, let's see now. He has got a couple of different posts here. Uh, no, I can't figure it out. Welcome, right. folks, to episode 219 of Uncontrolled Airspace. That's the, your segue? The General Aviation Podcast. Man. When I don't know what to do, do what I do know what to do. Yeah. Uh, no. That's not a segue. That's a guillotine. I'm, yeah, right. We have to... Re- we have David. David, we have to reevaluate his salary. That's right. Cut it in half. We're recording this episode on uh, Tuesday, December twenty eighth, twenty ten, and uh, joining me here in the virtual hangar is uh, my two good friends. First of all, Jeb Burnside's there, uh, talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Good evening, Jeb. How are you tonight? I'm well. I'm trying to stay warm, um, and of course, I'm, I'm with two of my favorite two of my favorite people. So the warmth is just rolling over me. <laughs> That's right. And also here this evening is uh, Dave Higdon, who's joining us from Wichita, Kansas. How you doing, David? Warm and toasty. Warm and toasty. Uh, just doing lovely. Had a lovely holiday weekend. Saw a great flick. Uh, had some aviation in it. And uh, Yeah, was it in the movie database there that we talked about last week? Uh, I don't think so. I, I don't remember it. What was the movie? Tron Legacy. Oh, okay. What would you think? 3D, IMAX, 60,000-watt surround system, uh, two words, boo and wah. Oh, yeah, okay. You like 3D movies? I've never really, I don't know, uh, it just seems dude, like a you gotta, stunt. you got to go see this one. Yeah? Yeah, it's just, it, it, how much, you don't even really know it's 3D. It looks so much like real life. Oh, how, much okay. of a, how much of a buzz do you need to get in and really enjoy it? <laughs> And I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm talking to you from the UCAP Winter Headquarters, high atop, snow-covered lookout point in the... Wait, wait how much second. did wait. you get? 
Wait a minute. Hang on. Let me finish. High atop the snow-covered <laughs> lookout point in uh, in the half a blizzard is still a frickin' blizzard, Nottingham, New Hampshire. Um, so that didn't get, mute. Yeah, they uh, they forecast. I mean, they were like you know they were harping back to the great blizzard of '78, which was a serious blizzard here in New England. You know, oh, it was a great one a long, long time ago. Um, and they're saying this could rival that, and we're all like getting freaked out and getting ready and you know making plans and and uh, and it was a good storm. I mean, it it snowed hard and it blew hard. Um, but it, here at, at Lookout Point, we only got about eight inches of snow on the ground. Um, from it was there was no snow on the ground when we started, so that's all from that storm. Um, the worst part of this storm wasn't the snow; it was the wind. The wind blew really hard, and uh, we uh, we had a lot of lot of uh, branches down in the area and uh, um, some uh, light wind damage to my house here. But. Uh, um, you know, and then, but then the power finally went out. I, all through the so-called blizzard, I'm making little finger quotes here. All through the blizzard, the uh, power was fine. And then yesterday afternoon, after the blizzard was really done with, um, the wind was still blowing pretty hard. And 6:30 last night, the power went out here at Lookout Point. And, uh, um, and uh, you have electric man, heat. I have electric everything. Oh, <laughs> I, have, I have electric. <clears throat> everything all right i was lying on my couch watching mythbusters all right and it suddenly was black all right it was, i could not see anything you know and uh, these things happen from time to time so we sort of was i had flashlights you know strategically positioned but i had to go find them in the dark and uh, um and i probably could have surfed the web well i probably could have used my laptop my laptop of course has a battery if i had battery power or some sort of power to run the cable modem and the uh, the uh, Wi-Fi base station, chances are the cable is still working because it usually seems yeah. to keep going. It's you, don't, you, don't have, you don't have 3G. Well, you have to try. You have an iPhone. Well, and so that's what I did, right? I'm, it's, it's like it's pitch black here, and my laptop's no longer on the net, um, but my, both my iPhone and my iPad, all right? Fortunately, they both had good charges on their batteries, and so basically, you know, I kind of hung out for a while, and after a couple hours, the power didn't come back, so I got out an extra comforter and climbed under the covers and surfed the net on my iPad for a few hours and, and eventually See, Jack, nodded that's, off. Jack, that's a fundamental difference between you and me. <laughs> What's that? Okay. If the power had gone out in the middle of a snowstorm, I would e- either have left or I would be on the phone raising hell with somebody to get the power back on. You just calmly surfed on the couch. Well... See, the, no, in the, there's there's no point in in raising hell with anybody. They don't pay any attention to you anymore, one way than the other. I've but it makes me feel better. Well, okay, all right. See, so no, I was surfing the net and then, uh, you know, checking out the weather. I did spend some time trying to track down the because see, we're down the end of a sort of a little bit of a of a road here, so I can't see my neighbors' houses. So whenever the power goes out. You know, it's like, all right, is that my power that went out, or did everybody's power go out? And um, and I did not want to go out because it was cold and the wind was blowing like crazy. So uh, so I got on the on my iPad on the internet and tracked down the uh, New Hampshire Electric Co-ops uh, website and determined that they were in fact reporting a bunch of outages in my town. So they, I knew mm. that it wasn't just me. Um, anyways, uh, eleven count them eleven hours later. At at uh, five thirty this morning. That's really great, dude. Yeah, I know. The uh, power came back on, and uh, by that point, the temperature in my house had reached thirty eight degrees. Oh, you man. have no you have no wood heat at all. I have no alternate heating. You know, as someone on Twitter, as I as I explained to somebody on Twitter, uh, the only backup heat I have is my warm heart. 
it's it's I'm actually right. shopping for a I'm actually shopping for some sort of wood stove that I can put into this place. That'd yeah. be really good idea. It's a bad time of year to do that, but yeah. yeah, you're not going to get a good deal. Well, yeah, I know, but anyways. So, yeah, the temperature, it was, it was 15 outside all night long. Oh, so uh, it got down to 38 by the time the... Uh, it was 38 uh, over, and it was lower than 38 here overnight outside. Out, outside? Out, That's the key? Outside. outside. Out, outside, yes. I know, I know. Yeah. Well, anyways. we, we uh, kept power all through a huge ice storm here about four years ago. Uh January 2nd, if memory serves. Uh, right after the new year, it was a weekend. Uh, affected tens of thousands of people here, some of them for weeks before they got power back to their houses. We got through the storm, and everything was copacetic uh, when a tree limb broke about uh, 300 feet south of us. And as it fell to the ground, it ripped off the line feeding the meter at a house down there. And when the meter hit the ground, it shorted out. It blew the transformer, which in turn blew the fuse. And we were almost to the minute, 24 hours, getting power back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we've got this really nice, toasty, uh, uh, later fireplace in the, uh, in the great room. And using it steadily, we were able to keep the house at about 54, 56 degrees mm-hmm. yeah. throughout. Yeah, no, having an alternate source is definitely the way to go. We we used to have this – is, this is an aviation podcast. we got to stop soon. Um, well, I may cut this out. I don't know. Uh, anyways, no, I didn't have an alternate heat source. The heat came back on to, at uh, 5.30 this morning, and now it's all nice again. And as someone in the uh, in Twitter said to me a few minutes ago, hope the power doesn't fail again. And I said it probably won't because the wind stopped blowing. Um Airplanes. Let's talk about airplanes. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. what we're here for. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. Story in, uh, um, and on AvWeb, avweb.com. Um, on one level, this is just kind of a little throwaway story, but it's a nice story. Uh, sport pilots are now free to leave the country, I, and I'm assuming they're welcome to come back to. The Bahamas, <laughs> uh, according to the story, the Bahamas is the first country outside of the U.S. to welcome sport pilots, even those using just a driver's license as their FAA medical. Wait a minute. That is a sport pilot, isn't it? Right. I don't understand this. That's the kind of phrase you'd see in a mainstream media story, not AvWeb. Um, um, and this month, a group of about 18 aircraft were the first to make the flight. The pilots launched from Fort Lauderdale's executive airport on December 10 and spent the weekend in the islands, enjoying plenty of blue skies, sunshine, and a group rate at a local resort. Well, that's kind of cool. That, uh, so this is we talked about this a while ago. That uh, now, now Remember, though, that someone with a private commercial or ATP can act as a sport pilot. Right. Uh, that and wouldn't apply you, to this case, though, would it? And use, and use just their driver's license as a medical certificate. Right. So, but that, the, the, yeah, okay. It, this is a funny area where, you know, yeah, yeah. How, how do you go about downgrading yourself from being a, a private pilot to being a sport pilot? Not, well, you, you just don't. Get in and, you, you know, you just exercise sport pilot privileges. Right. Which are built into your private certificate mm-hmm. by flying an LSA or, yeah. or an LSA compatible. Right. You know, I was wondering about this. Well, let's talk. I want to come back to sport pilots. This is a good, good, good subject. But let's finish this story here. So, yeah. uh, so the Bahamas now um, are, and, and this is an issue because it's not a not a not an obvious thing, not a, not a, a given. Um, Canada, well, for example. The way the right? way this worked, and, and, and Dave 
I, th- I think we we covered this in uh, uh, in Oshkosh uh, this summer with Air Venture Today because Bahamas had a couple of announcements that I covered while when we were up there, and right. I think this was one of them uh, where they were opening up their rules to allow uh, sport pilots using only a driver's license as a medical certificate to uh, uh, to come and, and leave the Bahamas. Uh, you know, promoting tourism, of course. Uh, but it was kind of a big deal because uh, I think the Bahamas beat Canada, or, or, you know, Canada was dicing back and forth with this for some time as to whether or not that was going to be doable to have a sport pilot enter the, you know, the, uh, mm-hmm. the airspace. Right, right. Uh, and it, it hung up on the driver's license as the medical certificate thing. Right. Now, but wasn't there a thing going on? Now, this is really just, this could be completely hallucination on my part but um canada canada allowed suddenly and a while back said that lsas could fly into canada but the issue was that they couldn't be piloted by sport pilots they had to be lsas piloted by private pilots does this ring any bells to you that's what i'm thinking uh it, it could have been that they wouldn't allow lsas in period well, I think originally they didn't, and that was the story, yeah, was that yeah. they were suddenly saying, okay, LSAs can come, but only if they're piloted by, by private pilots. We, sh- we should know this. Yeah. Well, it, 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 at Why the end of the day, now? LSAs are all subject to some of the same FARs and subparts for airframe and engines as any FAR 23 airplane. It's just the approval standard that's specifically tailored to them. And it outlines which parts of those FARs. I think it's 23 and 33. Uh, and something on maintenance, whatever covers that. It, 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 pilot qualifications it says you can do this. The, the pilot qualifications are different from the airplane. We all know that. Uh, the uh, aircraft qualifications, there's a lot of guys that don't want to recognize these as quote-unquote approved airplanes because it's not the same type of uh, uh, standard type certificate the FAA issues. The manufacturer certifies for itself that it's met all of the requisite requirements, and the FAA accepts it after reviewing it, or they don't accept it. And I believe there have been a couple of instances where a region has said, no, 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 not, not, not as you got it showing there. Uh, so letting LSAs fly into Canada under the command of conventionally licensed private or better pilots doesn't strike me as all that inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, their issue has predominantly been with right. the, the pilot qualification. And if memory serves me, Canada has a microlight category that similarly does not require a medical uh, but works on a, on a driver's license. You'd know better than us, but or me, anyways. Um, okay. Um, it was it, that that kind of uh, category was one of the uh, uh, catalysts to supporters of the light sport movement pushing for I don't know ten or eleven years before the FAA finally said, okay, we're going to do this. Uh, something more than an ultralight category with a two hundred and fifty-five pound limit that would let you carry a second person. And I think the original number was they were talking about 1,100-pound or 1,200-pound airplanes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Because the limitations up in Canada and some parts of Europe are much less than our 1320. Uh, 
So it's all kind of tied together with the, the, the pilot qualifications as far as Canada is concerned. Right. Mm-hmm. Moving to a slightly different subject that we also don't know anything about, but what the heck, um, and that is uh, sport pilots. So here's my question about sport pilot. Now, I'm not talking about LSA. I'm just talking about sport pilot. As we all know, part of the thing about sport pilot is that you don't need a medical certificate. Um, you self-certify yourself as being medically okay, all right, being healthy. My question is, does the regulations describe what is considered healthy? Is there any standard we're expected to to follow when we claim that we are healthy? Does it does you understand the question? Does this make any sense? Yeah. Yeah, and it's yeah. very vague. It is uh, vague. Or maybe I, sh- I shouldn't say it's not vague, it's broad. Yeah, it's, that's a better way to put it. It's very so, broad. You're basically saying that you're are not subject to any medical condition that you know would uh, impact your ability to fly, safely. right? But see, you know, and and you know, we've got a, a looming situation. It's actually not not even completely looming anymore. It's it's starting to get pretty well developed, where we've got a lot of old, aging pilots who uh, are concerned um, that they would be unable to get their medical renewed. Or, or in fact, have not gotten their medical renewed. You know, knew knew that they were going to fail, and so didn't renew it, and now are flying as sport pilots. And you know, are, are they obligated to evaluate themselves as if they were trying to get a third class medical? No, no, uh, not exactly. No. So even if you knew you wouldn't be able to get a third class medical. There are situations where you can say, I have a good faith belief that I'm healthy enough to fly an airplane. Yes. Okay. Right. And that the medication, any medication you're taking, uh, is not going to affect you. Now, there is some, some debate over the impact of taking uh, prohibited medication, uh, whether that should disqualify you as a sport pilot. But so far, I haven't seen an interpretation that backs that up and says, yeah, if you couldn't take it and fly as a, a, a certificated pilot, uh, you can't take it and fly as a light sport pilot. Uh, and there's some good reason for that. Uh, for example, some antidepressants that people take for, quote-unquote, off-label uh, reasons, mm-hmm. like you're not depressed you're not clinically depressed, you're not diagnosed depressed, but it's known that a certain antidepressant family can help your uh, help your uh, libido or it can help your uh, uh, migraine headache by the beta blocker, for example, makes, uh, makes a lot of people with migraine headaches live an easier life. But the FAA disqualifies you for taking that on a presumption that you're taking it only for the on-label uh, right. the use depression it's the depression that they really wanted to keep away from and now they've even changed that which is opening it up to some people to say I've been taking this medication and was disqualified for it but I wasn't diagnosed as depressed so can I now fly and if the reason you were being given the disqualifying med is not in itself disqualifying uh, there's an argument there that uh, yeah you should be able to get a medical now mm-hmm all very, very complicated. Yeah, it is. Very, well, that's very complicated. What, that, that's what keeps a lot of good people at FAA, AOPA, EAA, NBAA, NATA, and a lot of other big A's busy. 
the big A's. <laughs> um, so, uh, speaking of which, a great segue, by the way, um, we talked a couple episodes ago or some episodes ago about some confusion about what um, instrument training time can or cannot be counted towards other ratings. And Jeb, you've You've called our attention to a story where you say that FAA, quote-unquote, clarifies the issue. Yeah. What's the deal? Uh, AOPA, um, uh, when, when is this dated? Uh, dated December 20. AOPA on December 20 put on their website um, a story that says um, that previous interpretation, which basically said that um, the um, training time, instrument training time, uh, uh, accumulated when going for the instrument rating would not apply to the instrument uh, training requirements for the commercial certificate. And um, AOPA and a bunch of other people, ourselves included, uh, said, hey, you know, that's wrong. Um, fix it, please. And uh, the FAA has. Um, um, I don't know when we talked about this. It was probably, what, uh, three or four episodes ago at least. Um since then, the FAA has issued a clarification, um, basically saying, "Let me see. Let me see if I can pull this up." And it, it, it is funny. I think that that uh, now, uh, what's the word I want here? Now uh, uh, supersedes disallowed interpretation, overturned interpretation came out. Uh, it came became a, a, an attention point back in November. And the fact that we got an interpretation that harmonizes this with two major things, common sense and reality, uh, have it happen, you know, uh, by December 17th is, uh, in my mind, you know, like, wow, they were working on Afterburner to get that one question answered. Mm -hmm. yeah. That was only so like, like six weeks. Yeah, yeah. The, money, the money quote here is, however, we anticipate that for commercial pilot applicants, who already hold an instrument rating, the hours of instrument training used to obtain that rating will meet at least, if not most, or quite often meet all the requirements for instrument aeronautical experience as required under 61.129, uh, which is the commercial, um, um, presumably the commercial certificate uh, um, um, prerequisites. But um, they're just, yeah, I understand where all this came from. I've seen it before. We'll see it again. Um, they got to the right answer. Finally and and quickly, actually in this instance, very quickly. Mm -hmm. Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Progress. What a concept. <laughs> it's nice when the good guys win one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. David. God bless you. Yet another great segue. The good guys winning one. Um, friend of the podcast and good guy, uh, Alan Klapmeyer. Uh, we talked with him at uh, at Oshkosh, uh, where he had just announced his new venture, his new relationship um, with the uh, Kestrel aircraft folks, and uh, he's going to be involved in the creation of this new uh, single-engine turboprop. And, uh, David, tell us what the news is here. Uh, well, let's see. This was now, what, a week ago? Yeah, just a week ago, the... Uh only flying uh, research example of the Kestrel uh, landed in Maine, uh, former naval, well, almost former naval air station Brunswick, uh, where the new Kestrel aircraft is uh, 
taken over uh, a 93,000 square foot hangar uh, that used to be the Navy's. Uh, now that they're closing down the base, will now be where Kestrel Aircraft begins working on a, a conformal prototype and starts gearing up for flight testing and production, uh, hopefully employing 300 people when they're at full tilt and bringing some good money in, uh, to the region and sending some good airplanes out the door. And for those of you not aware, single-engine turboprop, fairly large cabin, composite, uh, on the high side of 310 knots in cruise, cooks right along mm-hmm. yeah it's going to be cool i it's uh the other thing that's cool about this is them taking up residence at brunswick um a lot of us up here in new england are excited about this because this is a big big uh, uh former naval or kind of soon to be former naval air station and uh in a, in oh, a yeah sp- it's closing has been a negative impact on the brunswick community yeah, oh yeah i mean as it always is when these kinds of things close um and they have uh, uh happily chosen to try and keep it open as an airport which is not always the case and uh um we're, we're all kind of looking forward to it. it's going to be cool it, it, it's just a to die for spectacular place to fly to um if you're flying along the coast of maine you have to fly either over or or around it um as it is right now if you can kind of picture the coast of maine um there's a point where it kind of it, when you down at the southern coast of Maine, it sort of is going north-south, and then at a certain point, it kind of turns right and kind of starts heading northeast. Um, many people believe that corner is where down east begins, you know, when they start saying down east, as the Mainers like to say. Um, and right there at the corner is where Brunswick is, and it's sort of on the islands out near the edge of the ocean and uh, um, spectacular location. It's going to be a cool airport, and uh, hopefully other aviation businesses are going to take up residence as well. We need a restaurant there. That would be great. And uh, Well, and it struck me uh, reading this story uh, and seeing some other reports about it that had the, the spark plug to this been someone other than Alan Klapmeyer, who with his brother Dale started Cirrus Aircraft in, of all the hot climates on the planet, Duluth, Minnesota, that if it had been anybody else, uh, Brunswick, Maine's odds of getting something like this might have been significantly diminished. Yeah, yeah, you got to figure that it's a Minnesota guy that would think Maine wasn't too cold. Well, so, he would look at it and he goes, "Well, you know, it's going to be cold, uh, but I bet they don't get a hell of a lot of snow there. It's good runway, and it, the people are anxious to, for us to be there. On the other hand, if we go to Florida." We're just going to be another, you know, one in crowded airspace, and it'll never snow, and uh, hurricanes, knock on wood. They get hurricanes in Maine, too. It's just usually by their time they're up there, uh, they're not quite the same as they are coming across Florida. Yeah, that's true. Well, the hurricanes we get up in New England are the winter kind, the nor'easters, and, uh, you know. So, you know, they can get your attention, too. Yeah. Brunswick Executive Airport, boo-wah, rah-rah, and... Let's hope that this is the beginning of a lot of good things, including another new uh, airplane company. Yeah. Now, David, this is another story that you are uh, sort of the go-to guy on here about uh, an, Me? an Australia. Let's see now. In the, in the list, it's called, uh, Who Says All Plane Making is Headed Offshore? Uh, and uh, Australia Aircraft Maker to Open... FW branch. What's FW? Fort Worth. Okay. Um, Airplane manufacturer Supermarine Aircraft is opening a branch at Cisco Municipal Aircraft, just 
Air, correction, Cisco Municipal Airport, just west of Fort Worth. Uh, the, the Brisbane, Australia-based company makes replicas of the Supermarine Spitfire fighters, which flew in World War II and are credited for saving Britain. Uh, the company is moving to Texas from Australia to be closer to its American-based suppliers, they said. I, I would warrant that it's also going to be closer to an American-dominated market. Uh, you know, to be perfectly honest, not that there aren't probably plenty of uh, Spitfire fans down under, but when you look at the relative pilot populations and the relative number of people who are going to spend hard-earned cash, they're saying 150000 to 200000 for a replica Spit. Uh, man, I want to be down there when, when they start rolling off the line. Is it full scale? That's what they're saying. What's the engine? Uh, I did not look into that. Well, I don't know. Let's see if we can... Must be something else on the web here. Let's see. Supermarine aircraft. Uh, Supermarineaircraft.com. Yeah. <laughs> How about that? Uh, yeah. Huh? They, they, they borrowed a name. Submarine aircraft, uh, all aluminum, two-seater, removable wings, retractable landing gear, affordable running costs. Uh, there doesn't seem to be an awful lot of information here. Let's see. You know, that's about it. There's just like one page. Click on Intersight. Oh, Intersight. There we go. Uh, okay. Yeah, they have, they're, these are scaled. 75, 80%, and 90% scale. All right, so they're not full size, but they're still, yeah. And what are they? What are they driving it with? Uh, they have a choice of a V8 engine or a V6 engine. Let's look at the V8. V8 is a okay. LS a Chevy LS2 uh, V8. 430 horsepower. And the six appears to be an Isuzu. Wonder how they'd feel about putting two of the. Oh, it's a flat six. Oh, V6. Put V6. two of those V6s together, and by golly, you'd have something close to the yeah. wheel. <laughs> scale, that, scale that sucker up about another 10%. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Let's go flying. Who huh. and why? Well, the cowl's certainly got to be long enough. I mean, geez. Yeah. Well, that's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then there was another one, uh, Cessna Aircraft here in Wichita. What precipitated this, folks? Is it... Uh, at least here in Wichita, and if you, you hover around the fringes of anybody that follows general aviation manufacturing in the U.S. right now, uh, Hawker Beach is moving some jobs to Mexico. Cessna's moved some jobs to Mexico. They're getting a skycatcher built in China. Uh, we just narrowly averted losing Hawker Beechcraft to Louisiana or Mississippi. Uh, and uh, there's concerns about more stuff getting moved offshore. Uh, Learjet's even had some stuff down in, in uh, Mexico. So seeing that the, the Aussies are moving this uh, replica uh, Spitfire up here and that Cessna is bringing back in-house some work that was being done in Canada. So it's not all clear-cut what's going which way and how, but uh, it does appear like the... Uh, the uh, sane heads do keep an open mind about it, where it makes the most sense to yeah. their particular kind of thinking. Maybe not to ours, but to theirs. That they uh, they'll definitely move stuff back in. 
Yeah. I mean, knock on wood, things really do seem to be starting to turn around, don't they? I mean, sort of every other day or so, there's another positive yeah. story, either about aviation or about economy in general. We've seen this before. You're not you're not there, sold, huh? I'm not I'm not buying it. Yeah. 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 There's there's a there's a lot of good positive indicators out there. Unfortunately, they're not the kind of positive indicators that put people to work uh, building this stuff because a lot of the positive indicators aren't people buying this stuff yet. Right. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that concerns me is that if the way the recession began is any sign, um, business aviation is a trailing indicator. Um, business oh, it absolutely av- is. Absolutely tra- is. Business aviation didn't really start to see faltering until long after other things had started to falter. And as a result, you would expect that they would recover late as well. well let's, let's- new, new airplane sales are, are, are a lagging indicator. Uh Pre-owned airplane, used Jack, airplane. Uh, Jack, I need, Jack, that, I need to clarify. That, yeah, um, go ahead, Jeb. I, I'm sorry, I don't mean it, and I, I wasn't sure if you could hear me at all. Uh, uh, clarification, are you saying business aviation or the aviation business generally? Uh, I said uh, business aviation, and that's what I was thinking. Am I mistaken? I'm not sure it's a lagging indicator. Uh, what what seemed to be, and again, I'm I'm a pretty amateur watcher of these things. You guys pay much more fine attention to it. But it seemed to me a year and a half or two years ago when the recession really started to take hold that the business aviation world was not immediately affected by it, that they kind of seemed to be doing okay for a while. And it was only after the recession really had taken hold that we then suddenly started to see um, the the, uh, the layoffs and, and, and all that kind of you know, bad signs. There's an argument to be made that you're right, Jack, in that we were well into recession before people actually started to recognize that we were in a recession. Well, uh, there's that too. In general, there was a, a lag. But, but new new airplane sales ran like bats out of health all through '07 and even through '08, and then started to tank like a, a, a an untied anchor in a deep ocean uh and by that time everything else had had just imploded uh but the funny thing is the pre-owned airplane sales started to tank 18 months earlier about the same time people started seeing signs that the real estate bubble was about to burst oh okay right? and it kind of went along with people getting the uh uh that you know you're a boy crying wolf reaction when actually they were talking about the canaries in the coal mine. Well, I, I don't disagree with any of that. I, I guess my point or my question would be um, the activity levels of in business aviation. That's what you need yeah. to be looking at, not the sales of aircraft. Um, you need to be looking at the frax operators. You need to be looking at the charter operators. If you can, you need to be looking at how often the corporate guys are flying or, or buying airplanes or or um, um, how many hours they're putting on a year versus, say, a year or two ago. And, and that's that's what I would call a leading indicator. That is. I think you're right there. Uh, I think that is a leading indicator, uh, or at least more so than, than the manufacturing side than the yeah. sales side. Yeah. That, uh, the real leading indicator is going to be jobs. Uh, and um, kind of waiting for some good news on that front. Yeah. Moving on, then. Let's see now. Uh, David, it says here, here's an idea I'd like to see spread. Oh, all right. I'm not sure if I agree with you, David, but tell us what you think is a good idea. 
Now that I've undercut you, how's that? Okay. <laughs> Come on, David, make my day. Now that you piqued my interest. <laughs> yeah, all right, David, what's the idea that you'd like to see spread? Uh, Covington Municipal Airport. It just dawned on me. I'm not sure Covington where. Uh, yeah, I wish people would put. It's Georgia, Covington, Georgia. I think it's Georgia. Yeah, you're right. I just got the state or the city seal. I saw Covington, Georgia. The uh, the city uh, reassumed control uh, uh, management of Covington Municipal Airport. Uh, apparently, they kind of fired the FBO. Uh huh. And why is that a good so, idea? Why is that good? Well, first off, the, the the big immediate impact was that fuel prices dropped between seventy cents and ninety cents a gallon when the city took over management of the airport. Uh. And I've always I've always been open to this idea that if you run an airport like a, a city asset, like a city utility, that you can do as good a job as a private entity that needs to mark up things that the government doesn't have to, to supply the dividend impact that any shareholders are going to expect. This is the uh, same or, or the same as having a, a an on ramp or off ramp uh, off the interstate exactly. for a community, and and they fun, uh, you know I'm not sure that they they look at it in that standpoint. They should. I'm sure that was one of the arguments made at one point or another. Um, but if communities did look at their local airport as uh, a portal to the rest of the world, um, the old saying, you know, a mile of of highway gets you a mile, a mile of runway gets you anywhere. Mm-hmm. That's well, an I, excellent. That's an excellent observation. And it, something was happening here at Covington that I've seen here locally many times in the Wichita area. Uh, pilots weren't fueling up at Covington Airport. Dixie Jet Service, the FBO operator, wasn't getting the fuel sales from a lot of the based airplanes because they were going someplace nearby where the fuel prices was significantly cheaper. The, the part of this that bothers me is I just worry about relying on, you know, the reason that the business, well, you say they got kicked out because they were charging too much for gas, and I guess maybe that is a possibility. But usually the FBOs go Still away because so. because they're doing a bad job, and, you know, they, they can't make a go of it as a business. They were losing a lot of business to nearby airports. Uh, that There probably were more issues with the management of the FBO than the fuel price alone. But the idea that they can, the city can hire some people to run the airport, run the FBO, if they can do as good a job at it, put some of that money into the city coffers for the airport, charge lower prices to do it, their business will go up. They will get not only people who are based there buying fuel there, uh, but they'll get traffic uh, into the airport that they wouldn't have gotten because it was cheaper to go 20 miles away. Right. And and my just my concern here is that as a rule, governments do not have the inclination or the skills to run a business successfully, and that always makes me nervous whenever these yeah, kinds of things I, happen. Jeb, you were going to say, go ahead. Yeah, I, under, I understand what your I understand what your, what your concern is. Um, some some sometimes city and county governments an excellent job running airports. I've been to a lot of small county airports, and uh, they they vary. Well, you you remember the world's mangiest dog, airport dog. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. That was a county airport, um, but I've been to a lot of other uh, um, city and county airports, and they are excellent facilities. In this case, I will bet you dollars to donuts 
that someone on the city council is a pilot. Yeah. Okay. And, and was not happy, or that you know someone on the city council is very close politically or, or professionally or something like that to someone who, who has an airplane at the airport or something like that and had been complaining about this FBO situation for some time. And they finally got off their duffs and did something about it. Um, whether there's a direct connection here between the city council and the, and the airport, I don't know. But nine times out of ten when something like this happens, that's how it happens. Right. Um, I, I suspect that um, between fuel sales and uh, other uh, um, ways to make money on the airport, they decided, the city council decided that for not that much of an investment, although, you know, relatively speaking, that's, they, they've put a, a buttload of money into this airport here. We're looking at uh, about $2.5 million to acquire some land. Uh, well, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that, that is uh, $1.62 million to uh, um, on, on a budget amendment regarding the airport. And then uh, um, 83 acres of land near the airport for another $710 million. So someone's put a lot of, the county's, city's put a lot of money into this. They clearly want to do something with this land and with this facility. Uh, and to do that, you know, maybe they had to kick the FBO off the field. I don't know. And I think that that's a ding, ding, ding. Okay, yeah. good. Uh, anything that makes airports stronger and healthier yeah. and better. Yeah, they'll probably, probably use the land for an industrial park, or maybe they'll attract, you know, uh, uh, an Australian Spitfire manufacturer there. <laughs> okay. That's the kind of thing, you yeah. know, that's the kind of thing uh, that uh, um, I give you, for instance, uh, way back in the day, the little airport I, I fly into in Georgia a lot, uh, all of a sudden sprouted an ILS and a whole bunch of other stuff. And I was like, what is going on here? And what happened was um, Walmart needed, this was back in the day now, needed a place to do overnight film developing. Mm-hmm. And this was a quiet little airport, no traffic. And what they were doing was they were flying in film from Walmart stores all over the southeast into this this small South Georgia airport. Okay. And they built a film processing facility. Well, okay, that sounds on, great. On, on the airport property, they, jobs, the whole thing. And, uh, of course, you know, technology superseded all this in a few years, and there was no need to do, do this anymore. Just out of curiosity, and, uh, how does a business, how does a corporation go about motivating the installation of an ILS? Um, there's a good about question. three ways to do that. Yeah, there's, there's, there are ways to do that. Yeah. Write a check or, or, or well, is it that's, more that's political? That's one of the ways. That's one of them, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, one of the ways is write a check, uh, and then you work with the FAA to get the, uh, to, to get the bloody thing uh, dialed in and an approach created. Because just sticking it in there doesn't get you anything. Uh, but that's one way. Another way is to get your local congressman or senator to insert a uh, dirty word coming up, cover your ears, an earmark, mm. and uh, a piece of legislation, any legislation. Uh, it could be the FAA bill. It doesn't have to be. And you will get a nice, shiny new ILS. Uh, the way Maybe that nice, shiny a lot of places LSA. got it is by qualifying on the basis of traffic. And when you qualify on the basis of traffic, the most you'll have to kick in is 10%. Okay. That's cool. All right. Well, you know, I'll, I'll take it if it works. I'll oh, cross my fingers. Well, right now the hot setup is not getting a new ILS. It's getting a new 
LPV approach. What's an LPV that, approach? That only costs about 75000 bucks. What's an LPV approach? GPS. Lateral precision with vertical guidance. It's one of the new approach types enabled by WASP GPS. Mm. And, and what you got you- the right kind of lights on the ground, you can get really close to ILS Cat 1 levels. And what kind of gear do you need on board the aircraft? Can you do it with just a regular old IFR GPS? It's got to be WAS. WAS, okay. Yeah. Right now it's there's the only... has to be checked and approved. Yeah, yeah right Jeb, now go ahead. Jeb? There's basically only two uh, panel mounts that'll do that, uh, three panel mounts that'll do that. The Garmin 490, I'm sorry, uh, 430 and the Garmin 530, uh, 430W, 530W, and the, uh, I believe the... Um, uh, 380 will do that also. Uh, mm-hmm. Bendix King has a panel mount coming out. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, there might be. No, I'm sorry. That's that's it. Um, uh, Bendix King has a box coming out. They've been advertising for a few years. It still hasn't hit the streets, to my knowledge. It'll do the same thing. Perhaps do a little bit better. Uh, later generation equipment. But right now, that's what you need to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Really the, only, the, only, the only boxes you know that are that are. Um, Available to the average uh, uh, pilot and owner. Yeah. Okay, I think it's a K- KX 770. 70, yeah, 770, 700, something. Honeywell, uh, like Jeb said, the 430 and 530 garments. And it, you can tell the right ones because it'll have a, a small W suffix after, right. the, uh, after the, the number. Uh, they're integral to the G1000 uh, and Avidyne's release 9 Integra system has WASP GPS with those capabilities built into it. Uh, it's really, it's really it kind of uh, amazing that you can get to, that you can get ILS precision on the approach, even if you don't get the minimums necessarily yet. But you can get under 300 feet and under a half a mile with LPV if you got the right lights on the ground. Yeah. And Moving no, on. N- nothing else but lights. Yeah. 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 M- moving on. All right. Here we go. Um, here, we, here we go. We've been doing this podcast for a while. How long have we been? Since like, what? <laughs> I forget already. 2000. Uh, when since, did we start? 2007? 2006? Since I was but a wee lad. Yeah. Okay. Um, in the entire time that we've been doing this podcast, 219 episodes, all right, has during that time the FAA had a full year budget ever? Uh, yeah. When we started and it was about to expire. Yeah, that's right. They got a they got they gave they got a full year budget because they were under, when when we started this in 06, right they were operating under a five year authorization okay and ever uh, since then they've been trying to get another one and it they expired keep, at the end of uh, at the end of fiscal 06. and or, they've been doing reauthorization after reauthorization after reauthorization and they just did another one right I'm sorry 07, the end of 07. yeah, yeah. they've been on. Uh, Continuing resolutions. Yes, continuing resolutions. And they did... They, this is a weird one, right? Didn't they give themselves a full year worth of continuing resolution? No, they did something weird this time. Oh, they, they gave uh, themselves, I think, six months. Yeah. So, what the heck is going on here? Is this normal? No. Well, and Not this long. And this has now been... Three few, words. This has been a few years under a Republican administration and now a few years under a Democratic administration. Three and words. Go ahead. United States Senate. Uh, what about the Senate is the problem? 
in this particular instance, we could be here all day otherwise. <laughs> what if that the United States Senate is a problem? Well, Let's see. Where do we start? Yeah. I think um, we could boil it down to three words, filibusters and holds. Yeah. Basically, is, is, in my recollection, I think we've talked about this on the – on a podcast in years past, and I haven't been following it this cycle. The whole thing is becoming a little bit tiresome, actually. But you uh, think? You think? Um, in years past, um, budget bills have been coming over from the House regularly as they should be. You know, I won't say exactly clockwork or anything like that, but they've been coming over from the House, and they go. It's like uh, you know the Panhandle of Florida, where cold fronts go to die. The Senate is where legislation goes to die. Um, Alice and, has seen more legislation pass by down yeah. the rabbit hole than has passed through the Senate uh, when it comes to and that's government, function, the, the, government function bills. Yeah, it's generally yeah. the roadblock um, on things like this. And in the past, uh, I don't know what the, the most recent uh, um, delay associated with the FAA bill had to do with um, – uh, it was a spat between FedEx and UPS, and the, the senator from FedEx and the senator from UPS would not allow the bill to go forward. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where it sat. That's where it sat. This was a year or so ago. I don't, I'm sure it hasn't been resolved because it's the United States Senate. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, then on that note, let's move on here. Um, interesting story about some folks that are building a some sort of pseudo replica of the right b flyer um building built built but yeah they're now flying it this is the replica though god bless them Uh, this is a great project and i encourage it and i would love to see this thing fly in person all right but this is just barely a replica of one of the right flyers, right? Because this is the same replica that we talked about a while back where it's a replica of the right flyer, except it's not the same size and it's not the same materials and it's not the same control surface um, uh, design. Are you sure that that's this one? I'm not. That's what I'm asking you. I don't think the uh, – I wouldn't go out on that limb unless you uh – you got a, you know, another limb in hand while you're holding that saw. <laughs> All right, you're going to make me read this story, aren't you? I read it a couple days ago. And, read the uh, website. Well, that's what I mean. I'm, well, okay, I'm reading from AOPA Online here, AOPA.org. Uh, the quote-unquote new Wright B model is flying. Uh, a one-of-a-kind airplane designed to showcase Dayton, Ohio's aviation heritage around the world has made brief hops off the ground and is ready for a formal flight test program next spring. It was built by an all-volunteer group. Um, let's see if I can just kind of paraphrase some of this stuff. Um the right B flyer, flight number 002, series of high low speed taxi tests, Dayton Wright Brothers Airport. Uh, oh, I don't know. And you're right, you're right. Th- this replica is not quite a true to the original materials replica, although plan form and dimensions, I think, are, are right on right. there. Yeah. Uh, that That's in contrast with the. Uh, uh, Ely Curtis uh, airplane that was built to commemorate the 100th anniversary of naval aviation, which, I th- if I remember this correctly, with the exception of the engine, is uh, accurate throughout. Mm-hmm. Wood, wire, uh, uh, 
cotton duck for the cloth uh, and flown, not trucked, about 150 miles from where it was built to uh, where it was part of the uh, uh, Norfolk celebration uh, on November 14th. Mm-hmm. Now, is the right B flyer... Uh, I think there's a there's a ver- model or version of the flyer that I think of as being the 1908 Wright flyer, the one that they took to Europe, and uh, and and just made a big sensation in you know France and and those areas. Um, do you know is that the the B or is that another one altogether? I would have to research that more. Yeah, because the the night what I think of as being the 1908 Wright flyer, the one like I said that they really kind of went public with and got their first military orders off of and and so forth, um, is the one I would really love to see a replica of. I just think that's the one that really, I mean... Yeah, you know. that was after they came back from Europe. Uh, all that happened. Uh, they couldn't get time of day from the American military uh, or the American commercial community. Right, until after they went to Europe. Right, they went to Europe and, you know, the wire dispatches coming back to the United States from Europe about how these guys were just wowing the, the the French population with what they could do with their airplane. Right. And the uh, the 1903 flyer, of course, is, is obviously very, very significant, but it seems to me the 1908 one, the one that whatever the, it was really called, um, is the one that really changed the world, if you ask me. It's the one that... Yeah, I think when you get to the B is when you really start to see some... Uh, something more than a developmental airplane, but one that's actually ready to be used. I mean, it would carry a a passenger. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently it was much more flyable, much more, uh, uh, you know, stable. I mean, oh, yeah. They they never stopped experimenting those boys. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, this Wright B one, um, though, looks pretty interesting. And uh, a big part of its design goal is to make it very portable so that they can show it off in more places. So maybe we'll see it this summer at some of the shows. That'll be cool. That'd be cool. Would indeed. Would indeed. What's next here? Uh, So the NTSB wants to be involved in. Am I reading this right? I was going to make some snide <laughs> remark. I was going to say the NTSB wants to be involved in a- aviation safety. Careful, uh, they might call you before <laughs> a hearing. Yeah, I know. Uh, aviation, but this is what the Wall Street Journal uh, doc, WSJ on, online is saying. Air Safety Board seeks crash prevention. NDSB wants role identifying hazards before they can cause fatal accidents. Um, you know, that, that just yeah. puzzles. I've got mixed feelings yeah, it really about it. does. Well, it puzzles me, too. One, isn't that what they're doing already? I know, right. I mean, yeah. so they, they're they involved with the process in one, one from one point of view after a crash, but the whole point is they're involved before the future crashes. I mean, you're always going to be after one crash, but before another. Yeah. That's right. You well, know? The, sec- the second thing is we already have an agency doing that. It's called FIA. And they're they're going out. They're they're you know trying to regulate and, and control things and, and prevent things from happening before they happen. That's why we have things like you know Part 23 certification regulations. That's why we have the Airworthiness Directive uh, process. That's why we have so many other policies and, and features. I'm going to put the word features in in quotes uh, of the FAA. We already have an agency doing this, trying to prevent well, accidents before they happen. Let's look at what the NTSB does. Uh, not just in aviation, but all transportation modes, trucking, railroad, maritime, and pipeline. And yes, 
Virginia pipeline is transportation. Uh, their charge is to investigate serious accidents, non-serious accidents, look for trends, look for patterns, look for ways to prevent those things from reoccurring and making their recommendations based on fully fleshed out investigations of the of, of the uh, the catalyst accident that is being involved in preventing future accidents in and of itself so i, I i'm not sure that chairman uh, deborah hersman is i'm not sure she sees this through the same lens as some of the rest of us second are you angling for a budget increase because that's a bad time and a bad blend. Uh, do you have so much of a budget surplus now that you've got resources to send your staff people off in new directions or uh, applying old information in new ways? Because if you do, you don't want Congress to find out about it. They're not in the mood <laughs> to be letting people playing around with money that they didn't think they, they think they can get away without, and they'll say, "Yeah, but the FAA is doing this, and so is the Flight Safety Foundation and the Air Safety Institute, and on and on and on." Like Jeb said, there, there are others out there doing this stuff. Uh, but finally, it's like criminalizing accidents, which we're seeing way too much of in the world. I'm not sure I want what if, if I've always considered the world's premier investigative agency it, you know it's done a better job of being resistant to outside politics not completely but better job than a lot of other agencies that we can think of uh, it's not got anything but a bully pulpit which leaves it free to you know to, to not worry about the fallout they can just say what they think is right and let it ride by, by and large but if you're going to start diverting resources into, you know, what proactively can we tackle to improve aviation safety, I suggest you send those monies over to people whose jobs that is already. Mm-hmm. Okay. Moving well, it bothers on. me the idea of them diluting their resources when, yeah. you know, who knows when we could be looking at the next series of really strange it's never happened before. Airplane accident, train mm-hmm. accident, uh, you know, uh, pipeline explosion, uh, uh, refinery explosion at a pipeline head. Uh, we're never going to get everything right 100% of the time. We're always going to find the new way of screwing ourselves up and doing well, bad damage. And that's what they're there to figure out. All that is all that is true, and and you know certainly the NTSB has a a great role, and they do a great job at what they do, um, for the most part. Some of their enforcement decisions are, are kind of out there, but um, this uh, this story says uh, um, by analyzing huge amounts of data spanning many years, but usually without being able to identify individual pilots or flights. The board issue sweeping safety recommendations geared at heading off recurrences that could lead to fatalities. Sounds like what they're trying to get their hands on is the uh, either the ASRS data or the other um, voluntary uh, reporting program. I forget what it's called. It's mainly focused on uh, on uh, transport category aircraft and scheduled operations. But um, um, here's a just a little factoid. 
Um, the last, let me see if I can find this real quick. Um, periodically, the the um, the NTSB puts out. Um, yes, here we go. Um, NTSB puts out a statistical report. Um, each year, or, or periodically, puts out these statistical reports. Some of them for general aviation, some of them for air carriers. The last time they, the NTSB released a statistical report was July 30 of uh, 2010. That was for 2006 general aviation accident data. Now, they're saying they want to acquire all this other data and, and analyze so much more data to to head off to make all these sweeping safety recommendations, but they're not even analyzing the data they have. Mm-hmm. Is my point here we are, you know, basically the four-year lag, and and not coincidentally, um, on April five of two thousand ten, the NTSB released its U.S. air carrier operations accident data for the calendar year two thousand six. Also, they're four years behind, three three and a half years behind here. So maybe they could, you know, spend whatever money they need that they already have to fix and get come back up to speed with the data they already have before they go out asking for more data and more responsibilities. Boy, I can't think of us being more closely aligned in our attitudes toward this. I, uh, uh, I heard from a, a, a friend of mine who's a former NTSB staffer, and uh, his his. Uh, his note to me came after the Wall Street Journal story uh, got into play and landed in, in, in on this list. Uh, and he was, he was like, he said, you know, he said we'd love to have had that extra capability when I was there. I mean, you know, the resources to actually do what we're talking about. He says, but they're, you know, they they have not held up well in the last ten years in terms of staffing and budget not compared to what their mandate is. And this lag in statistical analysis that Jeb's pointing out is graphic evidence of just how much they, they need to be focused on doing their primary mission without... You know, I admire the idea, Ms. Hersman, I really do. But there are people doing that now. In any event, so... Uh you know, speaking of another way of uh, of uh, heading off accidents in advance, this is the Segway show. We're doing segways. There, see if we can come Se- up with segways are us. Segway, did he go, George? Yeah, Segway, right. did he go? That's right. Um, Cirrus uh, got uh, got uh, permission or certification or I don't know what the right word is here for uh, their new uh, their new super gadget here. Their uh, this is from oh, enhanced stability protection. <laughs> this is the this is from a story I'm reading. SP. Yeah, I'm reading from a story in the General Aviation News website, uh, but it says Cirrus gets FAA nod on new safety features. Cirrus Aircraft has received FAA approval and has begun delivery of new aircraft equipped with its latest safety and pilot assistance features. Features. The, apparently, it's called the Perspective Electronic Stability and Protection and Hypoxia Recognition and Automatic Descent Mode. <laughs> I love it. Put an acronym, make an acronym out of that. I know. That's great, huh? Um, but it's, so, all kidding aside, this is the sort of a super-duper autopilot, right? This is... Uh, this is uh, uh, is this related to or is part of this the, uh, the magic button that, uh, that you can hit to... It's it's related to it. I want to know where the circuit breaker is for it. To, 
You don't like it, huh? <laughs> so this is supposed to really kind of notice well, how you're flying and and correct, um, you know, upsets and 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 so forth, well, there's, right? There's 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 two two elements to this approval. That we're yeah, David, about. you're you're apparently not cynical about this, so why don't you tell us what it's all about? Well, I I'm not sure that I'm a fan. Okay. But <laughs> wait, 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 wait. You're implying that I am cynical? To, yeah. <laughs> in terms of being able to write about it and report on it, which is coming up on my list from one of my clients later this year, uh, I've kind of paid attention since what they announced this at Oshkosh. We were there when they announced this at Oshkosh last right. year. Yeah. Electronic Stability and Protection, ESP. That is like the level button, the blue button, that recovers the airplane from unusual attitudes. Okay, right. that's that button on autopilot. When it senses that the airplane is out of sorts, it will straighten level it. Right. The hypoxia, hypoxia recognition and automatic descent mode, uh, it actually is designed to descend the airplane to lower altitude if it detects that you're not paying attention through the airplane drifting off, uh, getting too slow, you're missing an approach point. Uh, they're very, very sophisticated pieces of computer programming. Mm -hmm. uh, if the airplane exceeds one or more flight parameters, uh, uses the servos and sensors, uh, it'll recognize excessive pitch attitude, roll attitude, or airspeed. Uh, it can be overridden any time. Yeah. Uh, it That's does increase the correct say. pressure as exceedances <laughs> move beyond safe limits. Uh, uh, no, I said that there's some, there's some, you know, there's some uh, demonstrated need. Not a hell of a lot, but there's some demonstrated need for this every year. Now, Jeb, you want to turn it off? I want to know where the circuit breaker. You can, you can, you can disengage it anytime you want to. Well, he wants to pull the circuit breaker. That's a little bit more than just turning it off, right? What, what's the matter, Jeb? I don't know. <laughs> I, I would I would like to know more about this. Yeah. Um, for example, um, okay, that's when the, the Garmin GFC 700 autopilot has been disengaged and when hand-flying the aircraft, okay, automatically activates whenever the airplane exceeds one or more flight parameters. Are, are those flight parameters settable by the pilot or the aircraft owner? I'd like to know that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Uses autopilot servos and sensors get operation when the autopilot is turned off. Uh, well, then it's you know kind of sort of not turned off. Then is the autopilot, um, and what happens when one of those servos breaks or binds or or otherwise interferes with the control system? How do you disable it then? Okay, um, helps recognizes and helps correct excessive pitch attitude, roll attitude, or airspeed. I'm not sure I want. Um, a computer telling me what's excessive in pitch, roll, or, or airspeed. Um, as long as I stay within the aircraft's limitations, I don't want a bitching Betty telling me that I'm, I'm doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> augments pilot vigil assists but does not take control. Okay, uh, maybe I could get a warning light or a, a text box that says, hey, dude, you're exceeding, you're about to exceed some parameter. Uh, okay, can be overridden by the pilot at any time. Good. I'm glad to see that. Uh, increases corrective pressure as exceedances move beyond safe limits. That's what it should do. Gently returns the aircraft flight within normal operating envelope. Again, that's what it should do if, if it's do, going to do this at all. 
operates unobtrusively, and simulates aircraft's natural flight stability. Um, if the airplane needs some electronic augmentation to to uh, maintain stable flight, then it's a fundamentally unstable aircraft, and we should be de- maybe designing that instability out of it if it's to be used uh, for transportation. If it's to be used for for uh, other purposes, maybe we can design that instability back into it. Um, I don't need this kind of help. I, mm-hmm. I, 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 I can see where a lot of other people might want it. I can see where it might be a great marketing tool. I can see where it might make or break the sale of an airplane to somebody who's worried about his or her abilities. Um, I'm not uh, worried about my abilities in my airplane. Um, Do you I think, think you're Jim, on to something there? Yeah. Yeah, David? I think it's it, it, it's most uh, it, it's most attractive element from a corporate standpoint is its marketing value, right? Uh, in much the same way that the parachute was. Uh, I mean, well, let's face it. No, 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 if no. None of these things were. Yeah. If no, none of these things exactly were invented. Right. Nobody would miss them. Right. No, 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 no. Wait, stand by a second. Let me ask you this question. Um, I understand what you're saying. All kidding aside, Jeb, that that the, you know your the nature of your flying skills and the way you like to fly, this may not be the right thing for you. But do you believe that net net this will save lives over time? Um, net net will it save lives? I don't know the answer to that question. And here's the here's the fallacy in that. Um, just as um, I think it's arguable. I think it's. I think there is data that supports this statement. Just as Cirrus owners um, might get in over their head, uh, in, intentionally or or unintentionally, however you want to put it, but in the back of their mind, they do it because they know that they can reach up and pull the red handle. Um, this system might encourage or or perhaps not encourage but in the back of a pilot's mind he or she might know that with this system installed the the bitching betty is going to keep them out of trouble and they might be uh less they might be more casual if you will um in their in their um uh their abilities in their decision making uh, in their professionalism, uh, then they might otherwise not be if they didn't have this system installed. That's my concern. Okay. And if 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 it is just as arguable that people have flown into situations they were otherwise uncomfortable with because they knew they could pull the red handle, they're going to do the same thing with this. David, final thoughts on this, and we're going to wrap this up. Well, the uh, you know the, the the fact is that we've got. Pilots that are going to buy more airplanes than they've got skill level for, and in my mind, that's where the occasional life will be saved by something like this. If a system like this had never been invented, nobody would miss it. Nobody would say, "Well, I'd buy that airplane if it would, you know, like automatically descend me from high altitude when I've not responded like I should have at an altitude that requires oxygen." Uh, that's kind of out of their brochure stuff. Uh, but I'm kind of with Jeb. Uh, parachute, I love the idea of. I've been flying with them on aircraft for a long, long time uh, because there's some things for which you have no input and you have no options, and a parachute would be a nice additional chance. 
But then we start to get into, well, if you're ham-handed when you fly it, it will nudge you back to reality. Oh, if you're inattentive to your oxygen, you get overcome by it, it will bring you down to where you can breathe again. Uh, and then the flip side of me says, yeah, but what if it's CO2 poisoning? You'd really want that puppy to bring you down. Well, yeah. Uh, who, who, who's going to no tell ATC? There's no clear on this. But I'm, I'm not wedded yep. to the idea. It certainly wouldn't make a buying decision for me. Jeb, ask that question well, again. Um, who's going to tell ATC that the airplane's descending uh, because it's got a hypoxic alert? Um, putting that aside for a moment. I, I can see where this is, again, a great marketing tool, and, and it might be the greatest thing since canned beer. I don't know. Um, I don't necessarily want it on my airplane. I want, As I say, if, if it were on an airplane that I was about to fly, I would want to know how to pull the circuit breaker for it. Um, and, and, but this is, one final thing, this is really targeted at the CFO, the, 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 the she who must be obeyed in a family about to purchase an airplane. And, you know, these are certainly concerns about operating small aircraft, uh, small personal aircraft, I should say, um, that, you know, someone can get in over their head or they can get into a situation where um, they need to come down or the, the airplane needs to take over. And, and I can see where this is something that could be marketed to a, a skittish uh, family member um, with this kind of uh, a scenario in mind. So from that standpoint, uh, yeah, I can see where it's a, a pretty good lick. Um, you know, it works, which it seems to. They're FAA certi certificated. Great, more power to them. Um, it does raise some other issues, though, and I, I don't necessarily want it on my airplane. Yeah. David, I mean, quick. Yeah, real quick, and just so that it's uh, clear to folks listening, this is not us picking on Garmin or Cirrus for coming up with this because Avidyne's come up with sure. something quite similar for its latest autopilot system working with its perspective, uh, uh, I'm sorry, with its uh, Integra system, uh, Release 9 stuff, uh, we'll do a lot of the same stuff. Uh, the, the, whole, the whole debate here is the idea of how much do you want how running your airplane. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Shout-outs. You got anything? There's nothing on the list. Anything you want to say? something here. Go ahead, Go ahead. David. Well, it, something that came up uh, later or, or late today, and I meant to put it on the list, didn't. But if anybody's ever been interested in going into the airplane manufacturing business, uh, an outfit called Auction Resolutions uh, is in the process of taking bids on the FAA type certificate, uh, all the blueprints, drawings, engineering data, test data, conformity reports, inventory paperwork, dyes, tooling, jigs, and all inventory specific to the Luscombe 11E aircraft. And this is a, uh, a, a an auction. Uh, it's being held by auction resolutions, but the, uh, the uh, party holding the auction is the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. So... Uh, okay. If you ever wanted to get into the airplane business, now's your chance. I will send Jack the link on this. So if you want to follow up and buy an airplane company, you can do so. There we go. Shout-outs. You got any shout-out? David, what do you got? To all the listeners who've hung with us from fall of 06 through the end of 2010, 
Happy New Year. Shout out to you going into 2011. We'll see you next year. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, well, well put. Well put. Happy New Year. And uh, uh, don't let the day after the way out. <laughs> One of those voices is Dave Higdon. Dave is an aviation photographer, also an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the Internet? Oh, DaveHigdon.biz, Avbira.com, AEA.net, or just a general Google search. Uh, and remember that I, I don't do golf or theoretical physics. And you going to say I, something? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I would like to see him on a golf course. That would be... That would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be pretty cool. That would be pretty cool. Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, where can people find you on the Internet? jeburnside.com, aviationsafetymagazine.com, aea.net occasionally, and avweb.com occasionally. Um, You will not find me on a golf course. If you do, call 911. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. Thanks to Mike Morgan and Royce Earl and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips and other cool audio bits that we drop into the show. We're also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings, web page of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, you got something you wanted to say? Well, we all made it through this year because we all went flying because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Happy 2011. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. You know, he actually sits down and, and plans some of this stuff, rehearses it a little bit, too. I'm amazed, constantly amazed. AMFFM. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that.